Hello, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host, Tony Ladig. And we've been talking the last couple of weeks about more heavy type uh, topics. And so I thought it would be kind of cool to look at something a little bit different, something we haven't talked about yet at all. And uh, a topic that I find extremely curious, and that is uh, animal spirit guides or animal totems, those kinds of things. Now, as many, if not all of you know, I grew up in uh, a Christian household and um, pretty, pretty strict that way. And also was involved in ministry and those kinds of things. And so the idea and notion of animal spirit guides was kind of a no-no. I mean, it was basically perceived, as I've shared before, like everything else un misunderstood was perceived as basically demons in disguise meant to deceive us so that, you know, we don't make it to the promised land, I guess. And... I don't know. I always had kind of mixed feelings about it. Well, when I was younger, it wasn't even a thought. You know, the idea of having a, uh, an animal spirit guide or anything like that. Like, it was just a foreign concept to me. And then um, back around 2001 or two, actually before that, it was, but it was certainly whenever I was an adult. There was just this natural progression that started happening that I didn't really understand. And I didn't really pay much attention to it, quite frankly. Um, but I just started developing this fascination and connection with bears. Now, here in Pennsylvania, we have black bears, um, pretty much. You know, it's about the only kind you're going to see. And I've seen a few here, although more black bears probably in Tennessee and North Carolina. Um, but anyway, I just thought they were cool. There was just something about them I couldn't really explain. Um, it just, there was just a, an unexplained connection there that I really didn't give it more than a passing thought other than starting to buy like and notice like a little bear trinkets and uh, little statuettes and, you know, stuff like that, just picking up on it. And then um, in 2001 is when my family and I started moving more into Native American things and embracing that side of my family. Uh, my mom's family, you know, there's uh, Cherokee on her side of the family. And so I, I thought it would be important for me just in understanding who I am to explore that side of the family and to kind of get to know what it means, you know, to be uh, Cherokee or have Cherokee blood or whatever. And, and it was funny, one of the first conversations I ever had with a native elder, I was talking and she said, uh, so I understand you're Cherokee. And I said, and I never really saw myself in that light at all. And uh, I said, yeah, I have a little Cherokee in there. And she said, little Cherokee, what part is it? Like your big toe or your finger or your nose? Like what part is Cherokee? And I just started laughing. I thought she was just messing with me. And she said, if you have Cherokee blood, you're Cherokee. And I said, okay, you know, who am I to argue with an elder? And, but she really helped educate me in um, what it meant and all of that. And uh, so over the course of time and learning and all of that, we started embracing um, more of that culture and understanding like the regalia and the dancing and the music and those kinds of things. And um, I remember my first wife, uh, she made a lot of our regalia. And so she was making me a shirt, um, a traditional shirt to go along with leggings and stuff.
that I had made. And so she was at, um, I guess, like Julian Fabrics getting supplies for all that stuff. And as she was picking, you know, stuff up, she needed to get buttons for my shirt. And she just was immediately drawn to these bear claw buttons. And so she got those and put them on my shirt. And, uh, and I had said to her, you know, it'd be really cool is if there was like bear claw buttons on my shirt. And she's like, well, <laughs> it's kind of what I got. And I had, um, I had made a, a bandolier bag out of elk leather. Um, and, uh, I had painted like a bear claw on there and everything or like a bear footprint, I guess it was. And so it was just this natural growing thing. I really couldn't explain. And then um, later on, maybe a year or so later, uh, my family and I went to a, a naming ceremony um, with a Cherokee couple. And the way, which I think I've shared that before, but the way it basically works is they pray to the creator, the, the clan mother, and if they get a name, they get a name. And if they don't, well... Sorry, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of how it works. And uh, so she got um, names for all four of us, which was very interesting. And then um, they draw a circle, have tobacco around, you have witnesses. And then, you know, the circle is laid out in the four directions. And so you enter from the east and uh, bring an offering to the clan mother who's standing inside the circle. And there's just this whole ceremony that we went through. It's really beautiful. And uh, it was done fairly local here, um, at one of the local parks. And uh, so anyways, when I got into the circle, she had no knowledge of my uh, draw to bears or anything like that. But um, whenever, like whenever I entered the circle, she whispered the name in my ear to see if it was acceptable or if I would accept it. And then, you know, if I did, which of course I did, then you have to proclaim it in all four directions in the hearing of the witnesses and, and everything. So like my mom and dad were there and some close friends and stuff like that. And so the, the name that she gave me um, was Bear Walks in the Light. And immediately, as soon as she said it to me, I thought it was just extremely fitting. And uh, it just like resonated with me because I had already been getting set up by spirit or the universe or whoever with this bear thing. So I guess it was like warming me up to the idea. I don't know, but I just never really picture myself if I were to like just randomly choose an animal, you know, like, well, what kind of animals do I like? You know, I mean, I hunted and fished, so there was that, but um, just wanting to, you know, as far as something I was drawn to, it was always bears for sure. Um, so that began, uh, very much an education, a long education process and an understanding of what it means, you know, what does it mean to be a bear? What does it mean to embrace that energy? I mean, I didn't even know what the hell that even meant. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? Embrace bear energy? Like, how do you do that exactly? Go find a bear and say, excuse me. I'm just going to come and hang out for a minute, <laughs> you know? Um, and so it was just kind of, you know, and I mean no disrespect by that because there's a lot of bear clans and bear societies that um, are very sacred. Matter of fact, I was drumming with some friends at a powwow once and there was a guy um, who had a reputation of not being very respectful of tradition and uh, he uh, had a bear uh, fur there and a bear head, like a whole thing. And uh, while we were drumming one of our songs, yes, I was on a native drum for a while. Um, 
this guy came up and started doing, um, I forget what tribe he was with, but he started doing one of their sacred bear dances that you do not do in public. You only do, do it privately. And so the guy who was the head of our drum, um, of course, recognized what was going on immediately and just shut it all down. We literally ended the entire powwow because of this person's actions regarding, you know, this bear dance. And so, you know, you may think of it if you're not in that culture and you may think of it and it's like, well, that's stupid. Why on earth would you just stop something because some dude did a dance? But cultures are different. You know, every culture has their own things that are considered sacred. And who are we to say, well, that's not sacred, you know? That's just tobacco you bought at a store. How is that sacred exactly? Or, you know, it's just a dance with some dude wearing a fur. How could that be considered sacred? Um, and that is a whole conversation unto itself as far as what exactly is sacred and why. Um, but it was part of my learning process. And then, of course, with my family having Cherokee blood. I mean, for me, it's not a huge amount. Okay. We're not talking like 25% even. Um, honestly, don't even know what the exact percentage is. Doesn't matter. Um, but it was important for me to understand how the Cherokee viewed bears. And the one consistent theme that kept coming up over and over again and this is before I even considered like bear totems or, you know, uh, a bear spirit animal thing, you know, whatever, before I ever considered any of those words or even knew what they were. Um, this was just my part of the exploration. And so I started realizing that, you know, bears represented uh, strength, like um, a quiet strength in the face of crisis. They represented um, healing uh, and sacrifice. Uh, they represented a lot of different um, things like that, wisdom and teaching. And the more I discovered those things and learned about those things, the more I realized, holy cow, that really does describe me in a lot of ways. You know, it was, it was very interesting. And, uh, I remember the first time I really encountered bears close up in the wild, not like at a zoo, but in the wild was in, um, Tennessee. And I was there photographing a lot of the animals there. And I had seen a herd of elk and, um, one or two bears at a distance and some other things like that. But, I remember the one day I was there and uh, in one of the parks and saw like a total of seven bears that day, I think. And it, so it wasn't like, I mean, I was excited and I had my camera and I got some really great photos of them and everything. It was at uh, Cades Cove, if you're familiar with that. And uh, it's not like I ran up to them and say, hey, it's you. You and me have some things in common, <laughs> you know. I mean, because they'd take you out in a heartbeat, especially the uh, one moment that I ran into. She was sitting up in a tree. I thought she was sleeping. I guess she was. So I started taking pictures, and she opened up one of her eyes and was, like, looking right at me, maybe 10 feet away. And I'm looking around. There were other people there. There was this older gentleman there, and it's like, pretty sure I can outrun him, so I'm good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is probably horrible to think, but... I thought it nonetheless. Um, but anyways, it in some respects, it felt like a kindred spirit. And uh, I just really relate to it. And it defies explanation other than the fact that it is just this deep-seated knowing that, you know, and it really describes who I am in a lot of ways as a person. The other thing that was interesting, of course, me being the researchaholic that I am, I did research like uh, bear totems and um, 
animal spirit guides, specifically bears and all of that. And all the descriptions just have really fit me well as I've discovered who I really am as a person. And so then there was another experience that I had because, you know, if you embrace the idea that there are such a thing as animal spirit guides and that you can relate to the energy that they have uh, and that it's just another method of describing who, who you are as a person, just like numerology, just like astrology, just like human design, you know, all of those, you know, are drawing on our energy and then using a, some context, whether it's numbers or the stars or animals or something else, it uses those contexts to relate that energy to us in a form that we can understand. Okay, that's kind of how I view it. So it's not good, it's not evil, it's um, neutral, if anything. We're the ones that apply meaning to it. It just is what it is. And so, um, but I have found in my own exploration over the years, regardless of what discipline I focused on, whether it was an animal guide or having charts done for numerology or having charts done for astrology or human design, which is uh, one that's been really fascinating to me, they all say the same things about me. And that's the part that I can't really explain, you know, because they're like spot on for who I am as a person and everything. Um, so I find that curious. But one thing that I have learned, and I certainly wouldn't consider myself an expert on this topic by any stretch of the imagination, I can only speak from my own experience. Um, but one thing that has been interesting to me as well, because uh, we can relate to more than one animal, is uh, red-tailed hawks. I have this thing about red-tailed hawks that I really cannot explain. I remember I was at a conference once and um, it wasn't a native conference. It was a Christian conference actually, but there was this um, native elder woman there and I forget what tribe she was from. It was either Hopi or Navajo. That's what sticks in my mind. Um, but my first wife and I saw her and she was, you know, you could tell just at a very quick glance that she was native. Um, and so we went over to say hi. Um, and so this would, would also have been in that time period. So 2001, 2002, somewhere around there. And so we went over and we started talking with her and everything and just kind of sharing stories back and forth. And I remember she looked at me and she said, I have a message for you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like we just met, but okay. And she said, uh, you were called to understand the language of the birds. So whatever that means for you, just meditate on that. And I'm like, language of the birds. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just kind of the strangest thing ever. But after she said that, I started picking up on something. And that was that as I'm driving down the road, I would just happen to glance off to the right or to the left. And there was a hawk sitting. Like I just, like I wasn't looking for it. It's just, I naturally turned my head and there it was just as I'm driving by or I'd be driving down the road and all of a sudden one would literally swoop down in front of my car. I had, I've had eagles do the same thing, but only once or twice, but mostly red tail hawks. And I mean, there's many different kinds of hawks in this area, like Cooper hawks and stuff like that, but mostly just the red tails. And so I, I, I got to the point where I could literally be driving down the road and just randomly point off to the road without even looking and there will be one sitting there like just i just know that they're there 
And I remember whenever I became aware that this was a thing, you know, and I couldn't explain it. It's like, I don't know why I just happened to look and there they happened to be. Like, I don't know why that's even happening. And I remember right when I was first starting to, I wouldn't say embrace it because I didn't even know what it was. Um, but uh, we were driving as a family uh, to Lancaster, PA, which is about an hour and a half from here. And there's this one stretch of road that you have. It's basically Amish country. Okay. A lot of Amish live there. And um, there's this one stretch of road that you have to drive on Route 283. It's about 22 miles or so, 23, um, that takes you into uh, the shopping district of Lancaster. So it's kind of like the outskirts of Lancaster City or Lancaster proper. And uh, I've driven it many times because that was the same path that we took whenever we lived in New Jersey and we were going back and forth from New Jersey to Pennsylvania to visit my mom and dad. We had to go through that corridor. So very familiar with it, could almost drive it with my eyes closed. And so I remember this one time specific. It's only ever happened this one time, but it was, I was already aware that there's this weird something going on with red tail hawks that I couldn't explain. And so um, I remember driving along and it started happening, you know, where I just happened to glance over and there was a red tail hawk. And then driving a little further and there's another one. And then another one. So I started paying attention and checking my mileage. And what I discovered was they were literally spaced out a mile apart for the entire stretch of the road. Not just any bird. They were all red-tailed hawks. 23 of them in total. <laughs> so the odds of that happening anytime are extremely rare. Like what are the odds that they're literally a mile apart because I measured them and that there were one every mile the entire stretch of the road. And I've been through that, that particular stretch of road hundreds of times. I've only ever seen that once. And uh, it makes you wonder and I've, I've always been one who's very observant. And so, you know, immediately I'm thinking, what in the world is going on here? Oh, and then the very last, uh, there was one more bird after number 23 of the hawks. And it was like a flamingo or something, some really weird random crane kind of bird. And I'm like, okay, I'm confused now officially because... 23 red tail hawks and then all of a sudden here comes this heron or crane or whatever the heck it was which was so random and out of the blue it's like i don't get it you know but i've learned in talking with native elders and and different ones and explaining some of these things and experiences like i talked to one or two church folks and they're looking at me like i'm speaking in alien language you know, or I have poop all over my face or something. <laughs> you know, it's like, they look at you like, what planet are you from right now? You know, and you have the same conversation with native elders and they just sit there and nod their head. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. What else you got? You know, that like they know, they understand. It's like, oh, yeah. So creator meant, was saying this to you and here's why. And, you know. And so I found that really refreshing, first of all, that they didn't think I was insane. Um, but they just found that very normal uh, from their perspective, which was really cool. And it's like, creator's just sending you a lot of messages right now, and you need to pay attention to that. And so now every time I joke about it, you know, because there's so many times where I'll have like a hawk fly across the road in front of me. 
to the point where, you know, like I've learned to say, what's the message? You know, why did you just do that? What message do you have for me? You know, or whatever. And so I'm, and I'll usually say that out loud. So I'm constantly thinking about that. But there's been a couple of times where it's been comical to where, <laughs> I know it sounds so weird to talk about it, but, you know, reality is often stranger than fiction. There's been a few times where I'd be driving along and all of a sudden it's like the hawk was half asleep and didn't realize I was there. And I make up these conversations. Obviously, the hawks don't think this, but yeah, I make up these conversations like the way it happened. You know, I'm like driving by and then all of a sudden this this hawk is flying parallel with me down the road and then faster to try to get around me and then in front of the car, you know, and then all of a sudden he disappears. And uh, I, I've often joked about how, the, you know, the hawk has gone, oh, crap, Tony's here, and I was supposed to fly in front of his car to give him that message, and I totally messed it, missed it. And you know, he's got to, you know, hurry up and fly quick to get in front of the car so I notice him so I can get the message. I mean, it's just weird stuff like that. And then I remember another time, we were at this powwow in New York and um, we were getting a lot of crap from some of the other dancers there. It's an outside powwow. So we were camping and it was really hot and it was in the middle of a massive open field. So no wind, no anything, no trees, nothing nearby. And we were just getting a lot of crap from, these dancers, you know, they're calling us apples, you know, like red on the outside and white on the inside and stuff like that. <laughs> and so anyway, all of a sudden we're getting ready to go into the circle. I think it was the second day grand entry or something like that. And, uh, all of a sudden we see this hawk, red tail hawk, and he's circling the circle. And as he's like everyone who's there, the spectators, all the dancers, the drums, everyone is watching this hawk because it was really obvious that he was trying to send a message. Like he could have circled anywhere, but he literally swooped down into the circle and then started circling around the circle where we were dancing. And he kept going higher and higher and higher until we lost him into the sun like we literally couldn't see him because he flew so high in the direct direction of the sun because it was around noon time which is typically when we would have uh grand entry but then as soon as we lost him these little yellow leaves about maybe a half an inch across started flittering down from the sky right from the direction of where the hawk was. There's no wind. There's no trees around with little yellow leaves. It's just, and the only place they landed was where my family was standing. Okay, and we had another couple who was with us, an elder couple. And so the, the six of us were grouped uh, right close together, getting ready to go into the circle for grand entry. And these yellow leaves fell literally right on top of us. Nowhere else in the circle, nowhere else in the entire grounds. And there were no trees or bushes or plants or anything that had little yellow leaves or flowers or anything. It literally looked like the red-tailed hawk flew into the sun and turned into a shower of gold. That's what it looked like. But here's what's interesting. I told my girls and, and the others who were there with us, said, pick up those, uh, pick up those leaves. And uh, we put them, like I had a, my, um, satchel or whatever you want to call it is where I kept tobacco. Like I had a bag with tobacco that we would use whenever we entered into the circle. And so I put the yellow leaves into in with the tobacco 
so that as we go into the circle, you know, you bless the entry and all of that. But here's the interesting part of it all. Because that happened, and everybody who was there saw it, now all of a sudden, we're not the butt end of the jokes. It was almost like the hawk flew in to send a message to everyone else saying, knock it off, they belong here. And it was one of the craziest experiences that I've ever had. I mean, and I've had, as you know, some really wicked, crazy experiences. <laughs> but this was just one of those where there was just a hush across everyone outdoors and nobody could explain it. And then what was really interesting is some of the other dancers who were giving us grief earlier, you know, we noticed that they walked up and started picking up some of the little yellow leaves as well. Because now all of a sudden, because of this experience, these yellow leaves all of a sudden were sacred. You know, because they couldn't explain it. They couldn't, you know, they, we couldn't explain it. We didn't know what in the world was even going on other than the fact that something was going on. And uh, so, again, it was attached to a red-tailed hawk. And, uh, you know, very often a red-tailed hawk is viewed as, you know, he has his red tail because he uh, flew up and touched the sun uh, with his tail. And his tail was burned to remind, you know, remind him that he was kissed by the sun, so to speak. And uh, so it was a very, very interesting um, experience. The only other um, experience that I didn't personally have, but it played out nonetheless, uh, was with my daughter, Courtney. We were at a, a different powwow in New York. Uh, it was an outdoor powwow. Um, it was just a few, maybe, I guess it's about a year after 9-11 happened. And there was a gentleman there who was one of the first responders. And he was um, injured pretty badly in 9-11 um, and was having some trouble um, with his recovery and everything. And my youngest daughter, Courtney, was dancing um, jingle dress dance, which is a healing dance. And, uh, you know, she went through all the proper everything that you're supposed to in order to dance that. They don't always these days, but... She did. She did it the right way. And um, so one of our friends knew this guy who was who was there. He's from New York City and um, requested a healing dance for Courtney to to dance this healing dance. And so um, uh, two of our friends who were there, who were one of the drums, they drummed the the song for her and it was just her in the circle just dancing on this guy's behalf for healing and as soon as the first drum beat started two eagles flew into the area literally maybe 30 or 40 feet above the circle and the entire time she was dancing uh, around the circle, they were pacing her, except in opposite directions. So, you know, they were flying opposite each other and they're going around the circle and everyone's standing there. There were people who were crying. And I mean, it was just a crazy thing to see. And the whole time she's dancing around the circle and these eagles are literally just circling around the circle. We didn't see them any other time before, any other time after. The exact moment that the uh, the uh, drum stopped and the song was over and her dance was over, one eagle flew due east and the other eagle flew due west. Like literally when the song stopped, they flew away from where the circle was. Now, what are the odds? You know, I mean, it's easy for us to look at animals. You know, we have cats here. 
you know, look at animals or you see, you know, a squirrel running out here or there. We're driving along, we see deer feeding at night or whatever. And we think, oh, look, there's some deer. How cool is that? You know, oh, this, you know, if we even noticed that a bird flew, you know, flew, 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 flew in front of us as we were driving, you know, half the time we're not even observant enough to pick up on stuff like that. Or, you know, we see the same squirrel at the same time every day and we don't give it any thought. It's like, oh, look at the cute little squirrel. Uh, or, you know, we feel this natural draw to a certain kind of animal. You know, like for Kristen, it's sea turtles and, you know, sea creatures and stuff primarily. And we were in our sophisticated, you know, technological time of uh, time frame that we live today, you know, we dismiss all of that stuff in many cases out of hand as happenstance, as it doesn't mean anything or evil or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I, I can't speak for anyone else other than myself, but for me, I have to say that I have no explanation for it other than the fact that there's something to it. Now, I'd love to be able to tell you that every time a hawk flies in front of my car, which happens frequently, uh, weekly at bare minimum, um, that all of a sudden I have this major message from God or whoever and, and it's life changing and everything. Cause that's just not true, but I've learned to pay attention. Because you, I'm sure you would agree with me that messages can come to us in so many different ways. You know, not just words in our head or, you know, there's any number of ways that it can happen. It's up to us to be able to be sensitive enough to pay attention and to notice it and think on it and absorb it. You know, not taking it from the perspective of absolute, you know, but just viewing it as conversation, you know, because really that's what it is. The world around us is speaking, you know, and contrary to some folks belief, it's not just, you know, demanding that we stop producing pollution or whatever. I mean, setting agendas aside, there are messages that we get. Um, we get them from plants. We get them from animals. Um, we get them from, you know, wind blowing through trees. You know, we walk around and we hear the wind rustling on a nice summer day as it's blowing through an oak tree or a maple tree or whatever. And we find that sound relaxing. Like, did it ever occur to you that maybe there's a message in that sound? You know, there was a story that I read a long time ago where um, they were, there was a, a native tribe from Canada. It might have been the, I don't know, it might have been the Abenakis, but it might not have been. But anyway, they were doing some historical research on their language, and there was one particular word that they had in their language, and they weren't sure where the word came from. And so they started, you know, connecting with some of the old elders and different ones and asking questions. And they took trips, you know, further up north to where their origins were and everything. And ultimately what they discovered was that the sounds that this word makes when it's spoken are the same sounds that you would get from a receding glacier at the end of the ice age. And that they took those sounds and turned it into sacred words. There's also uh, certain tribes, I think it might be the Micmacs, who actually have words in their language that are based upon the sounds of wind blowing through specific trees. Now, again, you could say, well, that's just them, you know, making that up or doing whatever. And of course, you know, you can point to, to different myths and legends, like in the Cherokee, you know, there's the, the meeting of the animal people, you know, the deer and 
the bears and everybody coming together, not liking how the humans were killing them all. So they decided that they were going to inflict them with all kinds of diseases. And this is an extreme Tony paraphrase. Um, but the animals decided they were going to inflict humans with all kinds of diseases and everything to get back at them for killing them, for us killing them. And there were representatives of the plants there, plant people, and they said, we would like to ask permission that for every illness you inflict on the humans, that we have the ability to provide a cure through plants, through our plants. And the animals agreed to it. And, uh, and so the animals asked, well, how are you going to communicate what those healings are or what those uh, cures are to the humans? And the plant said through dreams. And uh, there were some animals that decided to take the same stance that the plants did and help provide cures and stuff as well. And so a lot of the medicine men and um, different ones had dreams over the years where certain plants would come to them or certain animals would come to them and say, do this or do that or whatever. So was it just that they're loony bin or, you know, one too many tokes off the pipe, you know, or is there something to it? I would like to believe that there's something to it, you know, just because, you know, animals don't physically talk to us doesn't mean that they didn't at one time. We weren't around. How do we know? There's indications that they did. There's indications that we understood them. Um, and we certainly don't now. Call it Tower of Babel, call it whatever you want. Um, what on earth did that native owner mean when she said I would understand the language of the birds? Still sounds like chirping to me, <laughs> you know? I can't say that I've heard these conversations that have come from somewhere, and there's, you know, birds sitting out on my bird feeders. Um, but did you ever notice how, like, birds, if you're an early riser around 4.35 o'clock, how they have this song that they seem compelled to sing, and then within an hour, they're not singing it anymore? So if they are saying something, what exactly are they saying? What are they singing about? fact that it's a new day, that we have new choices. You know, if bears are talking to me or red-tailed hawks are talking to me, what are they saying that I can't hear otherwise or figure out for myself? Like, is it really necessary that God or the universe, the divine, delivers messages to us through animals and birds or insects or whatever or is it just one of many um, channels that we can hear from? Or is it just that in our intellectualism and technology that we've lost so much that while we think we hear, in many ways we're actually deaf? And so where three, four, five hundred thousand years ago, maybe more, it was normal to get messages from animals or from birds or fish or whatever. Now it's, it's foreign. It's gone. We have no idea. You know, it's completely lost to us, except whenever it, I don't want to say intrudes, but I can't think of a better word right now, so I'll just use it. Whenever it intrudes into our awareness, without our active participation. In other words, having dreams that show up um, that are, seem like the weirdest thing ever, you know, where you're having conversations with a, a deer or something, and you're like, I'm talking to a deer right now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that that can seem funny. Or, or, you know, we have thoughts pop into our head and we just take it with a grain of salt. Like, you know, I just thought that. Like it just, you know, didn't come from anything or anywhere. It just came into my awareness. Uh, and maybe that's true. I don't know. But you have to admit, we are here on this planet with these animals and birds for more than just using them for food. 
or entertainment. You know, there's something going on here that we don't understand. At least most of us don't. And so, you know, we basically do what we want as humans. You know, I, there was a meme that Kristen pointed out to me the other day, and I had seen it before, but it was something to the effect of only a human would cut down a tree to have the wood to make a birdhouse, you know, and that's how stupid we are at times, you know, we'll cut down a birdhouse for hundreds of birds to have the lumber to make a birdhouse for one bird, you know, or something like that. Like, that's how we think. And the birds are like, this again, seriously, <laughs> why haven't we taken them out yet? Maybe uh, Alfred Hitchcock was onto something, <laughs> you know, in his birds movie. But anywho, that's what I have. Um, you know, I'm just offering it up uh, as a point of conversation. Uh, Tony said, I saw the Disney film Brother Bear uh, being made, so that was an insight of what it is to be a bear. Yeah, that was an interesting, um, an interesting movie. I kind of enjoyed that for sure. Uh, Lisa says, interspecies communication would give you the, uh, you have tooks, but I'm assuming it might be looks, uh, to really feel their energy by talking with the animals, including wild animals. I learned how in 1997. Amazing. I have contact info of the awesome animal communicator who teaches this. Yeah, I'd love to find out about that for sure. And Chris says, the bird deal has the hallmarks of a horror film. Only if they see you as the enemy, <laughs> I guess. And Irene says, um, he was guiding your way. And that's what I think it is a lot of times. I find comfort in it. And even that, I can't explain why, you know. And uh, so now, I, I like, I'm hypersensitive to it all. So, you know. Um, I was talking, my mom was here for breakfast earlier and we were talking and I was showing her one of the little, um, the 2019, uh, Stife collector club bears, just a little guy, maybe five or six inches. And, uh, I had shown her some of the other stice that I have cause I've been, uh, starting to buy and sell stice. I've actually done it for a couple of years, uh, off and on when we had our antique booths and, always did really well with it. And I think they're awesome. Stice are great. Um, as far as teddy bears and all that. Uh, and of course it's a bear. So, you know, and I've been looking at, uh, some of the other collectible bears like Charlie bears in the UK. Holy cow. They're awesome. Um, I have one and I gave one to my grandson whose name is Charlie and we call him bear. <laughs> so Charlie bear. It fits. Um, they're not inexpensive, but they're awesome bears. But anyway, so I shown mom some of those stice and, and everything that I have. And I said, you know, it is kind of weird. I admit the uh, for a 50 something year old guy to have this fascination with teddy bears and bears in general and all of that. But you know what? I don't care. I am who I am. And that's it. You know, you don't like the fact that I have bears, sorry, you know, doesn't affect what else I do. I just think they're fun as anything to collect and to, in some cases, resell. Um, some of them are worth quite a lot of money, actually. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Uh, Mavis says, your hawk and eagle stories are incredible. I had tears. Um, do you and your daughter still celebrate that heritage? Um, yeah, actually. I mean, I don't dance much now. Um, like, I'm very comfortable in 
who I am from an, an identity perspective. And I honor the, um, my heritage, of course, I can't imagine not doing that, but like, I don't need to do it. Like, like I don't see that as an identity badge. Okay. Some folks do. My ex-wife would be one of those. Um, but I, I don't need to. So like, I still have all my regalia. I have a couple of different regalias, a grand sta- uh, grass dance outfit, um, my traditional Cherokee regalia. I have all of that. And, you know, I'll have it till I'm, I no longer am around and then my girls will get it. But, uh, my girls still dance as much as they can. Um, matter of fact, there's power this Saturday. Um, that our whole family is going to be at. And um, what is super cool is um, my oldest granddaughter, Maya, is going to be um, dancing jingle dress this weekend for the first time. And so, you know, knowing the traditions and everything, um, you know, we followed all of those. Because, like, you can't just say, I'm going to be a jingle dress dancer. You actually have to have a dream. And there's a lot to it. But anyway, so that's all happened. And uh, her mom and her grandmother has been working on a jingle dress for her. So this Saturday, she's going to be doing that dance for the first time, which is a pretty big deal. I mean, and so, like, when every single one of the grandchildren were born, we took them to a powwow and we... Uh, introduced them to the circle with the head man and lady dancer and all of that stuff and greeted everyone and gave gifts, especially with Maya. Like we, everybody at the powwow, which there were 150, 200 people plus dancers. Um, we gave literally every single person their gifts, um, <laughs> all kinds of stuff, handmade stuff, baked stuff, money, you know, whatever it was, several thousand dollar ordeal. Um, but it's just what you do, you know, especially for your firstborn grandchild. And, uh, so they don't really, um, my daughters don't really, um, uh, do powwows like we used to. I mean, used to be, we would be going most of the summer into the fall, um, do the whole circuit, um, all over the East, Eastern seaboard area, but not, nobody has time for that now. (laughs) Life is busy, especially whenever they have their own children and so on and so forth. But we still honor those heritages and stuff. Um, Kathleen says sidewalk oracles by Robert Moss. I may actually have that one because you had recommended Robert Moss before and I bought like, four or five of his books, but I'll double check. I'm going to write that down. Uh, Mark says, I have had a huge number of encounters with hawks flying right in front of me or along with me like you. One in particular that gives me goosebumps every time I think about it. A few years ago, I was playing the juice harp as a kind of meditation in my backyard and trying to copy the birds morning songs. I think they're saying, Hey, look, it's a new day. I, I do that often weird. I know, but that's me. I heard a bird not answering my twangs as they usually do, but kind of, kind of singing along. I tested it out as I scoped out the tree. Sure enough, it was a hawk. He was actually singing along when I paused it would stop and tilt its head at me. And then it went on for quite a while. He stayed while I talked to him and started back up singing when I started playing. I don't know if it annoyed him. He was trying to drown it out or if he was really into it. Either way, it felt very extraordinary and has never repeated. I do still have encounters with a hawk. I still uh, did have a hawk encounter yesterday. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I see them all the time. It's awesome. 
And Jess says, maybe the birds are there to guide you more than talking to you through their chirping. Animals speak in their own way, as you say, if we are listening. One example, before a hurricane, ants, turtles, crabs, etc. Uh, you can see them moving towards safer ground. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, and Mavis asks, could you or Lisa share the animal communicator info? Yeah, if you, if you feel comfortable with doing this, Lisa, if you could um, like post it into uh, into the Facebook group. She shared it here. I'll take what she shared and send it to all. Okay, so I sent it to everyone. Um, through the questions, I didn't do it through chat. So just in case, I'll do it through chat as well. Okay. Thank you, Lisa, by the way. Um, Tony says, a few years back, I was sitting in the kitchen and I suddenly got a short video vision of walking up our street, but my eye level was the same as my schnauzer dogs would be. It was a bit like I was getting what he was thinking. I wasn't even paying attention to him at the time. Never happened again. Yeah, I mean, imagine if that stuff wasn't random happenstance. Like, if there was a way that we could just plug in or tune in on a regular basis. I mean, we hear it in myths and legends and that kind of thing. You know, where people can see through the eyes of a hawk as it's soaring over, almost like an astral projection kind of thing. But, you know, and maybe they have figured out how to tap into it. I don't know probably freak us all the heck out at first, right? <laughs> You're like, what is going on here? Uh, Mavis says, this is such a beautiful session. I feel and have felt connection with ravens, crows, and mountain lions. Does that mean something? Who knows? But the connection's there. Well, and I would encourage you to just look up what they represent. I mean, just start there. And, uh, you know, see what you find you might find something extremely relatable. <laughs> Mark says, Hawks are another thing we have in common. Jeesh, my brother from another mother. True story, for sure. Um, and Lisa said, please put the link to listen to the replay so I can share it with Shirley. I will. Um, I haven't been super diligent in getting all the replays up again. I apologize. Life has been crazy busy for us lately. Not that I'm offering that as an excuse, but uh, as soon as I have these up, um, I will make a post in, uh, in the Facebook group. So you can use that as a, a guide, Lisa, that you can share because they're all available for free. You know, you can listen to them on SoundCloud or iTunes, either one. So, um, here you have it. So that's all I have folks. Um, another weird session with Tony. <laughs> that's what I just should have called it. Uh, it's the nerd unscripted group in Facebook, Kathleen. That is one that we still have a dedicated group for. Um, Tim says, a treatment team that helped my son share this website with us, spiritanimal.info. I think I've been on that site before. It sounds kind of familiar. So I'm going to copy that too. I have a... Uh, a, uh, an Evernote note that I paste all of the information from these sessions in there. Now, the other Facebook groups didn't go away, Kathleen. Um, I may be merging a bunch of them because I have 20 or 30. Because <laughs> I used to make a Facebook group for every course. And I because of that, I just don't really have the ability to maintain them all. And so some are active, but most are not. 
And so I just have been thinking about ways to really focus the Facebook groups, which to me, the best way to really do that is to bring them down to just one or two. And the expert media, well, at least two, maybe three, um, one related to art and illustration, and then the expert media university one, there's like 2,200 or so people in that one. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to mess with that one. And then nerd unscripted, you know, have keep that one alive because it's something completely different from other things that I teach. So anywho, well, thank you all very much. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week this week and, um, you know, get some thought to what we shared.